Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the fourth week of our series, Beyond the Boat. This message comes from Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. And if you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. Uh, We're in the study of the Gospel of Matthew, and this morning we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Uh, If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open up your Bible and to keep it open throughout our time uh, so you could follow along with how the points come from the text, from God's Word. If you don't have one, we'd invite you to use one that's there in front of you, in the seat right there in front of you. Uh, But let me start by reading this passage we're going to look at this morning against Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father and mother, so for the sake of tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. May God bless the reading of his word, let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to again come and to worship you now. Father, for the opportunity to dive into your word. Father, I thank you for what you teach me, and I pray now that you get me out of the way, and Father, just use me to communicate your truth, not my ideas, but your truth. Father, help us to have hearts that are open to hear and understand and to receive and to respond to whatever you may have for each one of us this morning. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. You know, over the years, I found it interesting to interact with different Christian leaders, different members of churches from all kinds of different denominations, all different traditions and backgrounds. Uh, Many of these may come from churches that have different beliefs on some doctrinal issues than I do, may even have some different understanding of moral issues. And one thing I find interesting, though, is that how many people in one church will look down on people in another church Uh, based on what they believe about an issue. And meanwhile, there will be people at still another church who look down on the people in the first church because what they believe about a different issue. And so, for example, I know some people that would be offended if they go and they visit a church and they say, oh, there's a church social, and the church social has games that includes cards like euchre because cards are, are bad, and, or if it includes like dancing, well, don't you know that dancing is bad? And, and they would argue that the church is compromising with ungodly worldly amusements. But on the other hand, I know that there are other people that may walk into a church, and if they see, oh, there's a church social and a dinner, and they walk in and they say, they have meat here. You know, don't you know that the Bible commands, thou shalt not kill, and, and to have this meat, you had to kill the animal, and so you're breaking the commands of God. I mean, I know people that would argue that. I know people that have visited a church and they immediately decide, well, I'm not going back to that church because that church doesn't use the one authorized, correct English translation, and so therefore they're compromising. They must be liberal. But on the other hand, I've known people who have visited a church and immediately they decide, I'm not coming back here because they use styrofoam cups for their coffee and, um, and, and any church that was serious about really caring for the environment wouldn't use styrofoam cups. I know people that have said that. Now, what's interesting to me is it's not only the vastly different opinions and convictions on different issues, 
but how each of these groups is totally convinced that the things that they're focused on, well, they're right, and anyone who disagrees with them is wrong. And it's not only that you can have different, because a lot of times we could say you have different groups that might take something that's unclear, and I have a different opinion about that, but I know it's unclear. No, but a lot of these groups, they say, well, these are things that we know are clear. And I'm sure that my conviction on this is right, and anyone who disagrees is wrong. You know, some pe people could even have convictions about, like, how you dress on a Sunday morning, or something like facial hair. And somebody might be visiting, and they're saying, man, that pastor's got facial hair, and I can't be at a church where the pastor has facial hair. I mean, I literally know people that say that, if you laugh that. And it's not like any Christian leader has ever had facial hair like Jesus. You know, but anyhow, but see, people think. Now, for those that are visiting, I'm joking about it because this is new, and, and uh, if you're wondering why I decided to do this, it's not that I'm jealous of Todd and Joseph and their beard. It's, it's not that I'm feeling inadequate because both of my sons and my son-in-law have full beards and mustaches, and the only member of my immediate family that doesn't is my grandson, Nicky, and he's only five months old, and so, you know, so I'm feeling, no, it's not that. I mean, I'm doing this because my wife told me she would like me to try it. She wanted to see what I looked like. And now, that was a big surprise to me because after we got married, she said, I'm going to make you a deal. When you stop shaving your face, I stop shaving my legs. And um, so for the first 30 years, I've had good motivation to be clean shaven. And so she then came to me and says, you know, I want you to try growing a beard. And I thought about it. I was like, does this mean that you're going to stop shaving your legs? It's like, no, no, no. I, I just want to see what it looks like. You know, it kind of balances off the shine in the top of your head. And, 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 uh, and so you might look better with a short beard. So practically, one of the ways I love my wife and I want to express that love. And one of the ways I do that is I want to look good for her. So if that's what she wants, I'll try the short beard. And now all that to say, there's all these things that, again, can have different churches, this is right, this is wrong, this is what you should do. And how can you have these different groups of Christians who are not just talking about things that they say are unclear, but they say these are things that we know that we're right on, on totally different things. And, and anyone who disagrees, well, they're totally wrong. Well, Jesus' teaching here in the beginning of Matthew 15 helps us not only make sense of why that happens, but how do we see it from a biblical perspective? Now, to look at this passage, I want to start by, by looking at the spirit and the attitude in which the religious leaders here approach Jesus and, and how we approach Jesus. Here's the context of the story. The story is, is shortly after uh, the passage. Like, and if you look back in Matthew 14, he had just done this miracle. Jesus had this big miracle. He had 50 or 5,000 men, probably over 10,000 people, and he feeds them all with just a couple, you know, five loaves of pita bread and a couple small fish. He multiplies it. And, and to use the language every day, I mean, the story went viral. I mean, it, suddenly everybody's talking about it, and, and quickly huge crowds start coming to hear Jesus. That's what we read at the end of chapter 14. So it's, we see this, and when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gezeret, and when the men of the place recognized him, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. So all these people are flocking to Jesus. They're excited about that. Now that's the context of the beginning of 15. And remember when Matthew wrote this, he didn't put chapter breaks in there. So just carry over. You know, here's, they're excited, they're coming, they want to touch him. And then very next verse, verse 15, one, the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now let me ask you, 
What was the focus of these religious leaders when they came to Jesus? Well, they, like all these other people, they've heard about the miracle, they've heard about the feeding of the people, you know, they've, they've heard about his teaching, but now they're coming not to listen, but to confront Jesus. You know, why do your disciples break the tradition? They're not complaining that the disciples were breaking the teaching of God's word, but they're accusing them of breaking the traditions of the elders, of not keeping other rules. You know, think about what was the emotional state of these people? Well, the people here, you see, they were excited. They were coming in humility. They, they looked at Jesus and they had the sense that Jesus had something to offer that they needed. So they wanted to hear his teaching. They, they needed to see the power of his miracles. They just wanted to touch him. But these religious leaders, they weren't coming in humility. They were coming in pride. They weren't coming to ask Jesus his teaching or his opinion. They were coming with this condemning attitude, looking down on Jesus and his followers, seeking to correct them. Not because Jesus was, again, the disciples were not obeying the Bible, but they weren't keeping all the traditions of the elders. Now, the obvious question is, again, what is this tradition of the elders that we're talking about? Now, we're going to explain this, and not only what it was then, but, but we're also going to see that it's still a problem that we can deal with now. It's the idea of the tradition is, is it's what's their and our natural t- tendency to focus on both religion and on rules. Again, it's all centered on this debate about the tradition of the elders. They come to Jesus, they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Verse three, he says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Verse five, for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. And so there's this whole debate and you've gotta say, okay, what is it here? And why is this leading to such a sharp dispute? It's not that Jesus was against traditions, I mean, we all have traditions. Many of you maybe have Memorial Day traditions and you're doing something with people or friends or family on Memorial Day, and that's great. Traditions are wonderful. It's something very different, very specific, the tradition of elders that he's talking about. What these were is these were a set of traditions, of teachings and rules that over the years, the Jewish religious leaders had, had written ostensibly to help people understand and to apply the Bible. Now, they weren't in the Bible, They were rules that had been added to the Bible, and and over time, they had been now treated as almost being the same authority as the Bible. Now again, the ostensible purpose of this was initially to help explain the Bible. So for example, I mean, one of the teachings in the Bible, one of the commandments, you shall honor the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. Well, what's that mean? What's it mean to rest on the Sabbath? So we had the the, the leaders, over time, they started to ask that, and they said, well, let us help people and so they literally over time had hundreds, thousands of rules that they defined very specifically of what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath so that you were making sure that you were resting and not working. So an example is that, well, you have to walk some on the Sabbath. You didn't have cars. And so they defined exactly how far you could walk. It's a little over a half mile. And if you walk less than that, you were resting. If you walked over that, you were working. You, they literally had a law. You couldn't work, look in a mirror. You couldn't light a candle. Those things were considered work. And none of these things were in the Bible, but they were the tradition that supposedly was to help you understand the Bible, but actually perverted the Bible. Now here they're confronting him about an issue of ceremonial purity and washing. And so you see that in verse two. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now again, you've got to realize all these rules had some root in the Bible. There was something that was taught there But in this case, we're going to see these traditions stretched a long way from what the Bible actually taught. 
And so, and it totally missed the idea. Now here's what was going on. In the Bible, there's a lot that's taught about the idea in the Old Testament about ceremonial purity. So when you go to worship, there's a sense that there would be ceremonial washing at times that would acknowledge that I'm unclean before God and I need him to wash me. And that's actually a, an image that, is, that we see fulfilled in the New Testament baptism. That's our washing through the blood of Christ. Now, back what we see here is in the book of Exodus, there was a command for the priests that when they entered the temple, they were supposed to wash their hands and their feet as a way of, again, showing their need for God's uh, uh, cleansing. Now, what happened is the religious scholars said, well, if the priests are supposed to wash before going to the temple, wouldn't it be safe if we all did it? And so everyone should wash. Well, not only that, well, if it's going before the presence of God, when we pray, well, everyone should wash before they pray. Well, and if you're washing before you're praying, well, you're supposed to always pray before you eat. So therefore, everyone should have to wash their hands before they eat because that's a way. Now, what you see is it started with a command for the priests about the temple, and next thing you know, it's a law that's saying everybody has to wash their hands every time they eat. Nothing to do with in the Bible. I mean, it's very, very distantly related. But these religious leaders were confronting Jesus about that. They weren't keeping the traditions of the elders. They weren't ceremonially washing their hands before eating. Now, it wasn't in the Bible. It was many of, one of the many rules and regulations that they're made, and that's what Jesus is, is kind of calling them out here. And, and when we look at this, we've got to realize that that's something that in principle we can still do. I can look at them and their rules and say, well, they're wrong, but we can still do this. Why? Because I think part of it is all of us, deep down, we want to feel like we're good people. And part of being religion is that, you know, we focus on religion, and that means being good is doing good things. It's about rules. It's about performance. But deep down, we also know that, as it says in the book of, of Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the God. We, so we tend to focus on rules and religion, but because we don't match up fully with God's standards, what we do is that we, in the spirit of religion, tend to focus on one aspect of God's truth, elevating that in a way that allows us to ignore other parts of God's truth. And the idea is that we try to establish our righteousness by focusing on this one part that we think we can keep. And not only that, well, we're gonna add extra rules. So if I can keep the Sabbath, I'll do all these extra rules to prove how righteous I am and I'll focus on that in a way that kind of excuses my ignoring other parts of what God says. Look at how this played out here in Matthew 15. And again, they're coming to Jesus. They're saying, you know, why are your disciples breaking the tradition of the elders? He responds back to them, why do you break the commandment of God for your sake of your tradition? I mean, his, his con, uh, the contrast here is, 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 is harsh. You know, they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Jesus said, no, the problem is you're breaking the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition. You're worried about my disciples breaking the rules of men, but the fact is you're looking at the rules of men and you're using them as an excuse to break the rules of God. So then we look in verse four and he gives a clear example, one of many that he could have done, but a clear example of how they were doing this. Verse four, for God commanded, honor your father and mother, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now that's a pretty clear command, right? You know, you look at that, it's, you know, the, the fifth commandment, the 10 commandments, it's a very, very clear command that God calls us that we're to honor our father and mother. Now, what's that mean? You know, we could talk in principle of that, we could talk in, in theory, but the fact is, is that there's a, what Jesus is saying, that's something that's very practical. So practically, when we live out this honoring our father and mother, one of the things that means is that, hey, if they have a need, 
you care for the need. You help take care of them. You, you know, you, you, especially as they get older, there's a, there's a need to be able to, to love them practically and, 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 you know, and the practical needs and practice. And Jesus confronts them that they're denying this clear command of God to honor their father and mother using the excuse of their tradition to do so. That's what he says in verses five and six. So look in your Bibles. You say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now here's what's happening. There was a passage in Leviticus that taught that everything that we owned is of God's. And so God's claim on every, has a superior claim. Basically, everything is just entrusted to us. It's the same thing that's taught in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it, it, it talks about stewardship. Everything is God's. And so we don't really own anything. God has entrusted things to us as a steward for us to care for. And ultimately, we will have to give account to how we use our possessions. Same idea. Now, what they did is they took this passage in Leviticus and they developed a tradition that said, you can declare everything as God's. And since it's God's, you can't give it to everyone else. And they would say, I would declare it God, and they wouldn't actually give it to God, they would use it, but because I've declared it God's, then they would say, well, you know, I'd like to help the poor, but I just can't because I can't give God's money to someone else. My parents, they have a need. I would like to help them out, but you know, I just can't because it's, it's God's. That's what he's talking about here. They developed this, this loophole by which they said that everything is God, it's a tradition of men, and it freed them from the obligation of actually using the money in the way that God called them to do. It freed them so that they disobeyed the command to honor their father and mother. And that's what he says, for the sake of tradition, you have made void the word of God. See, what they've done is that they've, they've looked at that, they've, they've, you, know, you have tradition, but you're actually using it as an excuse. Now one thing here, it's, I wanna say, it's easy to look at the Pharisees and to see how bad they were Uh, But we have to remember that the Bible isn't just teaching us about what happened then and someone else's sin back then. It's always teaching us principles, giving us stories that are about human nature. And so God's trying to teach us about things that we still do. We still can do this. Like the Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus' day, we can still elevate one aspect of God's law and create all kinds of laws to prove how well we're keeping that in the process, ignoring other aspects of God's truth. See, what we do is we add our own rules. And not only that, we, we look at that and we say, well, here's the rules and look at how well I'm keeping it so that I can tell how good every, everyone else, but, but not only that, but then I judge other people by the rules that I've added. And so I say, well, look at how righteous I am because I'm doing these things and then there are other people that aren't and they're not as righteous. Let me show you, let me illustrate this. And I'll, let me do it from two different sides, from two different aspects of a sense, kind of the, the Christian tradition. All right, so there are some churches that might be described as more socially progressive, more liberal in their thinking. And people in these churches will often focus on certain aspects of God's word. You know, well, the Bible calls us to, uh, to, to be generous, condemns materialism, it condemns prejudice, it, it, it speaks against judging other people. Now, all those are taught in God's word. And they will say, well, the Bible teaches that we should be loving and that we should love and accept everyone and, and we should care for the environment. Again, all that is in God's word. But here's what happens. So they take those things and then they add to them human tradition, certain laws and say, well, here's what it means to love everyone. And, and here's what it means to be able to care for the environment. And here's what it means to, and, you know, and then suddenly they're adding things that aren't in the Bible that actually disagree with the Bible. And part of it grew from 
what's taught in the Bible, but, but it's adding things and taking it away so that it actually, in the process, justifies them ignoring other things that are clearly taught in the Bible. And not only that, but then they'll define who's a good Christian. Well, you're not a good Christian because you're not keeping these rules. And I'm not as good as I am. But that's not just what liberals do. Conservatives can do the same thing. People that are from a more conservative perspective, you know, they will tend to focus on other parts of God's law. So on doctrinal purity and Bible's teaching on sexual ethics and, and the Bible's teaching about personal responsibility. Again, all those are in God's law. All things are important. But what conservatives can do in the same way is they can add different laws that expound on those things. So suddenly we're saying, well, sexual purity really means this and, and personal responsibility really means this and doctrinal purity, we're gonna add and add and say, well, here are the things that everybody has to agree on. And in the process, they can set up all these rules and then say, okay, Meanwhile, I'm ignoring these other things. I'm so focused here that I'm not being responsible here. And I'm, and I'm judging everyone by how well you're keeping my rules and my traditions. See, we're adding our own rules and judging others by my rules. In fact, the more I've thought about this this past week, you know, I realized I think we can say everyone, everyone that we interact with is actually religious and sets, focuses on a set of rules by which they define who is good and bad. The question isn't if someone is religious. The question is what religion do they have and what is the source or their authority for their religious ideas? As a Christian, I believe that God is the ultimate source of authority. So I go to the Bible and I believe that the Bible is the God's source of authority behind my beliefs and about my all moral teaching. You have other people of different faiths that look to another religious book. So, you know, the Quran or something like that and, and that's their source. Increasingly in our secular culture, I think there are more and more people who see their authority as themselves or the opinion of the modern culture. The fact is even atheists and those who consider themselves totally secular have religious beliefs about what is right and wrong. They have religious rules about how they define morality. Usually they're rules that they're good at keeping. They're things that are more natural to them. And, 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 and as much as they will judge Christians, well, you shouldn't judge, and that's condemning, and then they'll turn around and they'll judge other people by how well other people are keeping their rules and in a way that is often more condemning than anyone else. So a lot of people have even looked at this, and they say, you know, you have people that are incre- incredibly secular in the worldview who have become incredibly religious in their understanding of moral issues of right or wrong. They don't use the word sin, but they'll talk about what is good and what is not only bad, but what is evil. And then they become extremely legalistic of how well you're keeping my rules, condemning and punishing anyone who breaks those rules. Their moral commandments aren't from the Ten Commandments or aren't rooted in the Bible, but come from their own opinions and from the cultural standards of our day. So, for example, according to our secular secular religionists, abortion is a moral good. And any who oppose abortion is a moral evil. And so they literally are passing laws in some states where if you go out and if you pray in front of an abortion clinic or try to talk someone out of it, you could be arrested for that because, well, that's an evil thing. Abortion is good. Or, or um, all sex forms of sexual freedom and expression are, are considered the highest form of moral good and anyone who voices an opinion otherwise is condemned as evil and hateful. Or a belief in global warming and a commitment to fight against carbon emissions is considered a moral good. And anyone who questions that is condemned as a heretic. And they shouldn't even be allowed to speak in the public forums of, of, of our day. 
See, again, the question isn't if they are religious. The question is, what is their religion and what is the source of their religion and the rules? Now, my purpose in that is not to necessarily even beat up on the you know, seculars or atheists. Or, it's not that. It's, it's actually to make a bigger point. All of us do this. All of us are naturally religious. All of us naturally you know, uh, tend towards making our own rules, adding them to God's truth, and then judging others by our, 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 our own rules. And the thing is, it's easy for us to see someone else's faults. It's easy for us to see the Pharisees or to see somebody that we disagree with. It's hard for us to see us in ourselves. One of the basic rules for studying the Bible is that God's word is always focusing on one person. And that's me, that's the reader, whoever, that's you. That's, as I read it, you know, God doesn't tell me what somebody else has to do, he's only speaking to me. He's calling me to search my own life and, and where I may be guilty of these doing, the, doing these things. And the question is, am I coming to God in a spirit of pride you know, thinking I've got it right and looking down on other people and judging other people, or am I coming to God in a spirit of humility and saying, God, I want to listen to your word and I want it to expose me and to correct me where I'm wrong? You see, ultimately, it's not just about rules. It's about a relationship with God. It's about believing in him because what Jesus teaches here is that believing in God means that we, that we adjust ourselves to his word. It's, it's not that we come and we say, well, here's what we do. And No, it's if I listen to it, I let him change my thinking. I let him change my behavior. In verse three, again, Jesus confronts the religious leaders saying that they're breaking the commandment of God for the sake of tradition. And, and then he gives an example, and then he comes back in six. For the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. Now, when he says you made void the word of God, the word void means empty. You're, you're making empty the word of God. You're talking about it, but, but you're really making it empty. And what he's saying is when we fail to honor the unique authority of the Bible, we fail to worship God. We may claim we believe it, but we're emptying that claim and we're literally emptying our worship. Look at what he says. Look in your Bibles to verse 7 through 9. He makes it really clear here. He quotes the book of Isaiah. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What he's saying is when you disregard part of the Bible, or when we add parts, you know, our own rules to what the Bible says, we may be honoring God with our lips. We might be going to the worship service, we might be singing the right songs, we might be saying the right things, but he's saying, no, the problem is your heart is far from me. You don't have a relationship with me. It's all about relationship. In vain you worship, you're doing all the right things, but it's empty, it's meaningless, because it means nothing. Now, why would he say something so strong? Because failing to honor God's word is failing to honor what God says. It's failing to honor him as God. And see, it's ultimately saying, what's the ultimate question in our life, our ultimate authority? Do we come to the Bible and say, well, I'm gonna look at the Bible and I'm going to decide what's true for me and what's not, or are we letting the Bible speak to us and confront us, confront our traditions, our culture, and letting it change us? See, if we, either we come to God and we say, you are the ultimate authority and I submit to you, or we are saying, I am the ultimate authority and decide what is relevant to me and not. We make ourselves God when we do that. And Jesus is saying a person can go to church and they can sing all the songs and say all the right things and look all the right way, but if you're coming and you're saying, I get to decide what's right and wrong, I get to add things to the Bible or ignore other things, 
it's all void. It's all empty. It's, it's nothing. Your, your hearts are far from me. You know, I'll talk to people and they'll say something about, you know, I want to follow Jesus. I'm interested in Jesus. And, and well, I like the Bible and I like most of what it says. Well, there's some parts that, you know, the culture's changed. It's outdated. And, and there's some parts that really just aren't relevant anymore. But again, you can't follow Jesus and reject his words. Ultimately, you say, if I follow Jesus, then what he says I submit to, that's what it means to have that relationship with him, especially in the places where it con- you know, con- uh, contradicts and where it can confront you. Why? Because failing to worship God is ultimately, or failing to submit to the Bible is a failure to worship God. That's what it says. Look at it again in verses 7, 8 and 9. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. You might think you're worshiping God. You might think you have this relationship with him. But he says, no, you're far from me. You don't have that relationship. Well, I know some people that will say, but I do. I, you know, most things that I submit to God, most things that I, in the Bible I do, and there's just a few parts that I disagree with, and we kind of have this deception of partial submission to God's word. But again, first of all, remember the story that we're talking about here. Jesus is confronting these religious leaders who had all these rules that were ostensibly helping us understand the Bible. They, they thought they obeyed God's word. They were claiming that, and all the rules were based, you know, indirectly on the Bible. But the problem was, wasn't that they were rejecting all of God's word, but they were elevating part of God's word in a way that justified ignoring other parts. They were keeping much of it, but Jesus is confronting them by saying, you know, just because you're doing all these things doesn't mean that you could ignore these things. And oftentimes we have people that, well, I like a lot of what Jesus says, and, and, but then we ignore parts that we don't like. And so we focus on the parts that we like and that we don't, you know, and, and justify going, that's not a relationship with him. I mean, we understand this. I mean, let's, let's put it this way. Let's say you, you came to my house and my kids were young. And, um, and so I've got a couple, you know, a couple kids there and we sit down to eat. And I, the first thing I do is I put, I put, hey, well, let's have dessert first. And I put chocolate cake in front of them. So let's eat the chocolate cake. And they eat the chocolate cake. And I'm like, and aren't my kids obedient? What do you think? You know, my good parents, are they obedient? Well, yeah, of course, any child that, hey, let's go to McDonald's. Let's go in the car. They're all going to get in the car. Aren't they obedient? All right, well, tell them when they're playing their game, hey, it's time to dinner and see how much they disengage from their game. Do they obey me when they're telling them to do something they don't want to do? It's not, how do you like chocolate cake? Well, I'm going to give them the broccoli. You know, here, you need to eat your broccoli. And how they respond when I'm telling them something not to do, that's how you can tell whether they're obedient or not. It doesn't take anything to obey when you agree. And that's what we are doing. That's what people are saying. But I, I, I obey when he tells me to eat the chocolate cake. I obey when he does the things that I want to do. That's not submission to God. True submission means that we submit on the things that we do not like. And part of that is understanding the whole purpose of God's teaching of his word. And, and again, look what the Bible teaches here, even about why we're to obey the gospel, why we're to obey what God teaches Verse 8 and 9, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship, teaching as doctrines the commands of God. Why does he call us to obey? He calls us, why? Because he wants us to be close to him. He wants, you're not obeying, and therefore you are far from me. He, he, it's not about formal compliance. It's not about, here are the rules, and here are other rules to make sure you keep the rules, and if you jump through the hoops, that's religion. No, it's not about formal compliance. He wants our heart, not our compliance. It's not just our behavior. 
And he's saying, no, the problem's you're far from me. I want to be close to me. And he says, if you look at the Bible, and he says, if you really understand my heart with all this, I want you to understand it's to draw me close. Now, there's part of this when we think about, it doesn't make sense. Why? Because think about rules and laws. Generally, our lawgivers did, okay, think of the laws that have come down from Washington, D.C., when you have a new law from Washington, D.C., do you think, man, the Congress is in session. I feel loved. You know, is that what you think? You know, hey, they're telling me that I can't drive gas cars anymore. Hey, man, I feel loved. This is great. Man, they're, this is drawing me close to them. What a loving relationship. Is that what happens for you? Probably not, all right? So why is it that God's law would draw us into relationship with him? The problem is, is that we often think of God like a distant ruler, like an authority in Washington. And, and if we think of him that way, we're going to have a lot of problems. But I want you to think in terms of relationship, because it's all about relationship. Is there a place of rules in relationship? Think about marriage, all right? Was my marriage based on me keeping rules? What if Sandy came to me and said, well, I'd really like to marry you, but you have to keep this rule, this rule, this rule. If you keep all these rules, then I'll marry you. You'd be like, man, that's dysfunctional. Run away from that. That's, again, what people often think. That's what religion is. If you keep these rules, I'll have a relationship with you. No. No, but there's a relationship. We form a relationship. We say we want to commit to each other. Are there rules to that? Yeah. Yeah, there are. I mean, the most obvious, okay, you know, stay sexually faithful. That's a pretty big expectation. Now, is it a, something that I do to earn the relationship? No, it's something that I do because I have the relationship, because I understand that God has given me guidelines to help protect my marriage. Even if somebody doesn't understand that, oh, I believe in open marriage, and okay, well, you can do that, but you're never going to have a good relationship because God has created that sexual unity to be something that binds in the marriage. It builds trust. It builds, it builds intimacy. And if you go outside of that, it's going to lead to brokenness. So God gives us that, not only to draw us to himself, but it's specifically here, it's a rule that establishes relationship. And what does God call us to? God is teaching all of this as he wants a loving relationship with a personal God. Everything that he gives us in the Bible, verse eight, nine, again, these people honor me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me. He's saying, no, I don't want it to be vain. I, want, I don't want to be far from you. I want to be close to you. I want a loving relationship with a personal God but it's a relationship that's based in trust in God's character and faith in his character. Why? Because ultimately, if I believe that God is just this distant lawgiver that's out there writing laws that he's forcing me to do, I'm going to resent that. I'm gonna, I, I, if I have wrong beliefs about God, I'm going to struggle with his, his word. If I understand that he loves me, that this isn't a way that I earn my way into his favor, but it's because he loves me, because he's adopted me as his child, he now says, now I'm giving you these guidelines to help you grow in me. I want to teach you, and, and you need to submit to me because this is for your good. Well, suddenly, I'm going to be totally different in the way that I see his word. That's what it talks about in Hebrews. I love Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. How do we please him? By obeying him? No, it's faith. Faith is at the core. Why? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. First thing, I have to believe that he is God and I'm not. That there is a God who is over me. I'm not the ultimate authority in my own life. That he is God. And not only that I believe that he exists, but that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I believe that he is good. I believe that his rules and laws are an expression of his love and commitment to me. They're for my good. I trust him. 
And the more that I trust him and have that relationship with him, the more natural it is for me to submit to him. That's natural for me to do in that relationship. So it's a relationship that's based in faith in God's character, but it's also then established by faith in his grace. Because it's a relationship we don't earn. Again, that's what religion is. Religion is, I'm not good, and how do I perform, and how do I keep the rules, and how do I make God happy, and how do I jump through the hoops? And Christianity is, no, we can't do that. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. None of us can earn God's favor. The wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. But the gift of God, free gift through grace, is is eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. It's established by faith in his grace, by faith in what he has done for us. And so it doesn't mean, you know, if we're here and say, man, I've done this, and I'm I'm so far from God. if, If you know that you don't belong, that's the first step of the gospel. It's not about being good. It's not about even how do I clean up? How do I clean up to come to God? How do I keep the rules so that I'm acceptable? No, we come to God and we let him clean us up. We come and we say, God, I admit, here's my need, here's my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to take my sin and to forgive me through what Jesus did on the cross when he died on the sin for, for my sin on the cross to give me his righteousness, to make me right before you. That's what God calls us to. If you've never done that, I hope that you will do that this morning. That you realize that it's not about performance, not about rules. And if you've had a wrong idea, if you've been taught in religion where it's like, here's what you have to do, and here's how you have to, here's all the rules that you have to keep. That's not the Bible. And most of those rules you've probably been given are not the Bible. See, it's about a relationship with Christ, admitting our need, admitting our sin, saying, I, and now make, I want to make you the ultimate authority in my life. I ask you to forgive me, and I want to follow you. I want that relationship with you as my father. Forgive me through Jesus Christ. Give me his, your righteousness. And then teach me what it means to live as a follower of you. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.